Good morning, and please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We're in the season of Lent. Lent is a five-week time period, and throughout these Sundays, we're going to look at the various promises that God made to his people. Now, in the Old Testament, there's about five major promises. The first one was a promise that God made to Noah, and that was the subject of last week. These promises build on one another. The next promise is made to Abraham that, was, that does not supplant uh, the promise made to Noah, it builds upon it. The next promise is to Moses, which builds further. And it culminates in the promises that Jesus made to you and me. And we'll remember those promises uh, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, of course, said, this is my new covenant, my new promise that I make to you. So we are recipients of God's promises as well. Let's just think about what a promise requires. Uh, if I could just draw on where we are as a church, we are hopeful that uh, we will soon have a permanent church home. We've been working on this for quite some time. It's been, in some respects, a 15-year journey ever since the beginning of our church. We've thought about, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could find a church home to call our own. Uh, we are now in the stage where we have what's called a letter of intent. Many of you all have uh, purchased property or you know what that involves. And uh, a letter of intent means that we have a, a promise, a good faith letter that's signed by both ourselves and our intended buyer, uh, our intended seller, a letter of intent saying we've agreed to our terms. Now the deal is not settled. All we have is a letter. A, if I could use the term, we have a covenant that says that uh, we, we expect this to move forward. We expect this deal to occur, but the deal has not yet occurred. All there is is a promise. And the period between the promise stated, that letter of intent signed, and then the, the, the promise delivered, that period requires faith, right? You've often heard the terms, we're going to act in good faith, right? And that's what we are doing. That's what our, our sellers are doing. We are acting in good faith. We have said this, they have said that, and we are proceeding in good faith. And that's what a promise requires, whether it's with another person or whether it's with God, it requires us to act in good faith. Now, Abraham, that is the promise that we'll look at this morning. Abraham, more than any other character in the Bible, is an example for us of faith. All throughout the New Testament, he is held up as uh, the, the example for you and me to follow. Abraham was justified by faith. He is someone who is, uh, without hesitation, set up in the Bible as this is your example. Follow him. He is the father of all faithful people. This is from Romans chapter 4. And the interesting thing about the life of Abraham is that if you were to think of what a faithful person is, and what a faithful person does, and then look at the life of Abraham, well, it just doesn't match up. 
I mean, Abraham says things and he argues with God and he doubts God and he does things that are just, you think, really? That's what a faithful person is? That's not what I expected. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. And I just want to ask this question. Abraham is your father. He is the father of all the faithful people. He is your example of what faith is. And I want to ask of the Bible, what does that mean? Let's look at the example of Abraham and ask, what does it mean to walk in faith? Because the answer that you're going to see from the life of Abraham may not be exactly what you expect. And I see three events from the life of Abraham that can help us understand what it means to walk in faith. Follow along, please, in some sermon notes. So I'm going to break the life of Abraham into three different parts. The first uh, example of his faith comes from the very beginning, the call of Abraham. So very early in Abraham's life, God called to Abraham and told Abraham, go. Leave your, kin your kindred, leave your family, leave all that you have ever known and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you into a great people. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, we read that Abraham went. The historian uh, Thomas Cahill, who wrote The Gift of the Jews, says that those two words are some of the most seismic words in all of literature. He writes this, Abraham went, two of the boldest words in all of literature. They, single, they signal a complete departure from everything that has gone before. Here is a man who, who does not know where he is going, but he goes forth into the unknown wilderness under the prompting of, of his God. So Abraham's faith is expressed by his break with everything that is around him and his willingness to step out into something new. I warn my children about being a sheeple. Do you know what a sheeple is? A sheep is what you get if you combine a sheep with a person, a sheeple. Now, we just came back from our mission trip over in Northeast Kenya, and one of my favorite, we have a mission partner over there, his name is Gatachu. One of my favorite Gatachu-isms is, uh, sheep are not clever. So we'll be driving along the road, and you'll see plenty of sheep that are just, sheep are just herd animals. Sheep instinctively do whatever it is that is right in front of them. So a sheep crosses the road, the sheep behind them is going to cross the road. A sheep jumps off a bridge, the sheep behind them is going to jump off a bridge. So Gatacha will say, sheep, goats, goats are clever. Sheep are just not very clever. Sheep are by disposition herd animals. You and I are by disposition herd animals. We unthinkingly do whatever it is is being done around us. You and I are sheeple by disposition. A funny anecdote, there was a family about 20, about four or five years ago, and they had their first boy, and they said, boy, we don't want to name our boy what everybody else names their child, so we're going to name him something unique, something original, something, no. so they named their child Dylan, 2016. Lo and behold, do you know what the most popular name in 2016 was for boys? Dylan. They were on, even when they were trying not to be a sheeple, they were sheeple. They were just blindly doing whatever it was 
the person in front of them. Abraham was not. And the world of predictable, the world of, you know, the, the, the endless cycle of rain, of winter following spring, spring following summer, or the endless cycle of the season. Abraham steps out and he steps out into the unknown. And friends, there is so much of life that requires you and I to step out into the unknown. Marriage requires you to step into the unknown. How do you know that the person you're marrying is not going to go crazy? You don't. It just requires faith. Children, having children, requires a great amount of faith. How do you know that you're going to like your children, that their children are going to be healthy, that they're going to be above average? You don't. It requires faith. There's an Ed Sheeran song, and I like Ed Sheeran, but he says he has this great song, uh, Perfect. Uh, there's a rendition of that, of him singing with the opera singer. Go YouTube it. It is stirring. So the song Perfect is about a love song to his, his girlfriend. He says this line. He says, you know, it's a beautiful love song. He says, I have faith in what I see. Ed, that's not faith. Faith is in what you don't see. Abraham steps out into a new adventure. And there's so much of life that requires that. Starting a new business, buying a church, hypothetically. Like, how do you know it's gonna work? You don't. It requires faith. So often we think of faith simply in terms of piety and purity. All right, do you say your prayers? Do you go to church? Good. Nothing wrong with that. But there's more to faith than piety and purity. There's a sense of adventure. The Bible tells you and I uh, that we should sing new songs. It's not enough for us to sing old songs, but we should sing new songs. And it's hard to sing new songs if you and I are always doing the same old thing. It's one of the reasons I value my partnership with Gitachi because it's just, you know, it's an adventure. You never know. <laughs> It's a great adventure. And friends, that's part of what's involved with our faith. It's a great adventure, a step into the unknown. When's the last time you did something new, had a, new, had a conversation with someone new, tried some... So that's our first observation. Abraham's faith is expressed by his willingness to step out into something new. The second way his faith is expressed comes from our passage. Uh, from this morning, that is Genesis chapter 17. And you see uh, uh, the, the, the content of that promise. Abraham, God tells Abraham, you will be the father of many. This is in Genesis chapter 17, I believe, verse five. Uh, Your name will be Abraham. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. In other words, you will have an heir. You will have a child. Uh, And to date, God has not shown himself to be especially trustworthy. Abraham still is without an heir at age 99. Uh, This is the second time this promise has been repeated or restated. It occurs first in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, the same basic promise is made. Abraham, you will be a great father of many. From you, kings will come, etc., etc. Same 
promises restated. Only that in Genesis 15, there's no responsibilities held by Abraham. God says, this is what I promise, and I'm going to see it through. You know that line where it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? That occurs in Genesis chapter 15. Now in Genesis chapter 17, the passage that we read, we find the expectations for Abraham. Every covenant has, a, has parts that each party is going to do. Genesis 15, God's part. Genesis 17, Abraham's part. All right? Now you'll notice that our readings, we follow a lectionary, our reading definitely removes all references to the responsibilities for Abraham. And when I tell you what those responsibilities are, you're going to think, ah, I know why they removed all references. The, ref the, the responsibilities for Abraham are, in your sermon notes, that he circumcised all in his family. All right? So that is his part. Right? That is his end of the bargain. God says, I'm going to do it. Great. God says, now Abraham, here's your part. I want us to observe that the promise that Abraham received, you'll have an heir, was directly related to his responsibility to set apart that part of the body that was intimately involved in the creation of an heir. Now it's a Sunday morning, I'm not going to get into any details, but I just want to make two observations. And my first observation is this, that God asked Abraham to set apart this area of his life, if I could, if I could use that euphemism. He asked Abraham to set this area of his life apart because God has a good plan. God has a good plan for sex. It is good news. The self-giving and sacrificial love that he asks of married people and asks of single people is good news. And that is the first implication. The second implication is that God asks Abraham to set apart this area of life because it is important. More important than we realize. Look at the observation from Carol Vitolia, better known as John Paul II, who more than anyone has written about this subject. He writes, Confusion about this area involves a danger perhaps more than is generally realized. It is the danger of confusing the basic and fundamental meanings of what it is to be a human being. You hear what he's saying? He says the person, the church, the culture, the people that get it right in this area are going to get a whole lot of other things right as well. Further, the person, the people, the church, the nation that gets this area wrong is going to get a whole lot of us else a whole lot of other things wrong as well. Much more could be said, but I want us to observe that the first thing, and this is, this is before the Ten Commandments, no Ten Commandments, no laws about, this is God's first ask of his people. Set this area apart. 
And we should have a healthy respect and a healthy fear and a healthy hope that we would do just that. So my second observation, God, Abraham expresses his faith by setting this vital area of his life apart. Okay? The third way Abraham's life reflects faith comes at the very end of his life. And one of the most sobering stories of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22, God, an heir is finally given to Abraham. He has a son, his name is Isaac. And God tells Abraham the same way he told Abraham in chapter 12, Abraham, go. He says in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, go. Now take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and offer him back to me. Now that is not a promise, a command that Abraham asked God to fulfill completely. God is the only one who ever gave what he loved fully. God is the only one who gave his son for you and me. The same request that is made of Abraham to give what you love the most is asked of you and me. And it is a way that we express our faith, not by giving all, but by giving some of what we love. In our church, we ask you to give a little bit of your pursuit of comfort through fasting one day a week. Why? Because food is bad? No. It's because the pursuit of pleasure can easily become an ultimate good. And only God is ultimately good. We try to impress upon this church family, both as an organization and individually, the need to give sacrificially, and many of you do, sacrificially of your wealth. Why? Because money is bad? No. But because money is good, but it's not great. Only God is great. And by giving a little of something that is good, we remind ourselves that he alone is good. Sin is never choosing something bad. Right? No one chooses wicked things. We, all, we choose things that are just secondary goods. And through the disciplines of fasting and giving, through the discipline of setting apart the one day for worship, we remind ourselves that only God is good. And all these things, which are secondary goods, we put them in, our, in their place by giving just a little bit of them. And so that is a third way Abraham expresses his faith, by his willingness to depart, or willingness to let what he loves the most go. And so there we have it, three ways that Abraham's life expresses faith. He steps out into the unknown. He sets apart one area, one vital area of his life and he gives up what he loves. This is how Abraham lived in good faith as he waited for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And they were, God fulfilled his promises, they just took a long time. So get used to it. God has made promises to you. He's made a new covenant 
that he will be your God and you will be with him and he will wipe away every tear and all will be well. It will just take time for that promise to be realized. And in between the time in which that promise was made and that promise is realized, you and I must walk by faith. What does that mean? It means that we have a life of adventure, a life when we step out into the unknown, a life in which we set apart one vital area of who we are, a life that gives up one small portion of what we love. And that is what it means to walk by faith, according to our father Abraham. So we thank you, Father, for your servant Abraham, the father of our faith, and the example of all faithful people. Help us to believe in you. Help us to express our belief through stepping out, through setting apart, and by giving up. Amen.